Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter, willing to help with all the problems that I encounter. No my haere mai kia and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host Alison and I'm joined in the virtual studio today by a super special guest from the Auckland Libraries, Annie. Kia ora Anne. Kia ora Alison. Look, it's so good to have you here. It's This is really cool. I'm so grateful to you. So um, to our listeners... Annie works in the northwest of the city at the Helensville Library, and she's had a stellar career with Auckland Libraries. She's a, an expert on children and youth and their reading and, and learning. And recently, uh, Annie contributed a really thoughtful piece to our library blog, and it was called Comfort Reads. So when I read about Annie's go-to comfort read and all the comments that it generated, I thought to myself, I have to get this woman on the show. (laughs) So thank you for agreeing to be here today, Annie. Any time for you, Alison. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, that's very kind of you. I do. I know. I owe you. I owe you a coffee or or something, <laughs> something like that. So, anyway, um, getting to the topic of comfort reads, as everyone knows, the world can feel pretty challenging at times, um, particularly at the moment, right? And we all do have different ways it helps cope. And for some people, it's going to be something like getting out in nature, calling a friend or dancing our socks off, or all of those things, maybe all at once or all together. Um, And for others, it's going to be getting cosy with a favourite book. And I think I'm one of those sort of people. I go for the cosy reads. So this is where we're going to bring Annie into the the conversation because as a lifelong reader we knew she would have a comfort read that she goes back to time and again so I'm wondering if you'd like to tell us about your number one comfort read Annie. Sure Alison it's The Little White Horse by Elizabeth Gouge and my copy was illustrated by C. Walter Hodges so and that's a real classic it is. Yeah. It was published in 1946 and won the Carnegie in that year. And I got it, I think, for about my 10th birthday. My sister went through a phase of buying me books. I think she was worked in a bank in Ponsonby, right by the Dorothy Butler oh, bookshop. Yes. What a great place to oh, be. I know. <laughs> so I've got a few comfort reads from that period, but this is the one that's stuck the most. So it's a story of um, family and um, belonging and adventure. So it has fairy tale tropes all the way through it and fairy tale type characters, but it's more than that. And it is something, yeah, I've just been rereading it and I'm like, don't read it while you're hungry. You will definitely need a huge shopping list. Yeah. I, <laughs> I have made um parkin, which is one oh. of the yeah, one of the foods mentioned in that. So 
but it's one of those books that will um, push the boundaries of what you consider magical reality. And it is lush and evocative and descriptive. And in that way, it is quite dated. So it's not Mm. always something I recommend because a lot of the books these days aren't as descriptive. So it's a special reader that I recommend this to because I don't want anyone to tell me they didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you get kind of quite protective of those those go-to reads, don't you? You do. <laughs> but I know some people would want to be Maria, but I didn't. I just wanted her life. I wanted her bedroom. I wanted her friends. I wanted Rolf. I yes. still want Rolf <laughs> and Periwinkle. Um, I mean, like her bedroom was just insane. And I knew even at 10, I would have been too big to fit into it. But <laughs> <laughs> And her family and friends. And it's in so much into my soul that some of my passwords are based on characters' names from this mm. book. Uh, we'll we'll make sure we delete that <laughs> before it goes out. Yeah, so it's really Im- imprinted on you and your soul, hasn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted her happy ending, which is almost bittersweet in some ways, mm. but it's such a perfect end to the book. So, and the epilogue, anyway. Yes. The. And the epilogue um, really explains a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. When you're talking about the book, um, I'm just having so many memories coming back um, to me because I remember reading the book. I was probably about 10 years old, I think, and um, but... Um, I know exactly where I borrowed it from, and that was the Onihonga Community Library, um, which I spent, I was lucky, I was a lucky kid, I spent many happy hours there, Um, and it's, that's something I'll always be really grateful for. So I had a couple of, um, or a few questions about the book that I was going to run by you, and sort of talking points, I guess. So they tend to just um, describe this book, The Little White Horse, as low fantasy. And I wondered if um, you would give us a sort of a basic description of low fantasy. Um, And then, then, because I'm wondering if that's a genre that um, might appeal to to readers who who often read real-life stories, like school stories and family stories. I think it can, and I think in adults, the description is like magical realism. Oh, so that would be the sort of equivalent, yeah. The action is very realistic, and there appears to be magical elements, but they may not be magical either. You know, like, it's just little, little moments where there's a touch of magic, like the hint of Marmaduke Scarlet, you know, are his ears pointed? Does that mean anything? Or is he just a very clever cook? Or So there's little touches that could be fantasy, but so much of it is just based in like the fairy tale world, really. 
Yeah. Oh, that's a really good way of, of looking at it. And um, it's the sort of fantasy that I think I like the most because I, I sometimes find it a bit hard to go full on fantasy. But when you talk about magical realism, because that sort of genre is very popular these days, isn't it? And and even yeah. the stuff we see on our screens as well. And and you might be thinking, hmm, is this could this really happen? Or you know, am yes. I imagining it? Or is it is it the the characters' memories that are coming through? Whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. And um, I was sort of thinking, you know, about strange events intruding on an otherwise normal life. That to me sounds yeah. a bit like the last two years of the pandemic, because <laughs> it's been very much so. Magic is one way of describing it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the oh, um, another thing I was going to talk to you about. So, with Little White Horse was published in 1946, so just after World War Two, and um, the author um, lived through the horrors of both world wars and then the the flu pandemic of 1918 as well, and I. Wondered if um, these horrific events prompted her and perhaps prompted other authors around the same time to write sort of a gentle story about finding sanctuary, peace, and reconciliation, healing, all those sorts of things. I think possibly. Um, I know that that hint of the touch of magic, of I own a copy of your autobiography. So, oh, yeah, yes, read it many years ago. Um, she has, um, she's from one of the Channel Islands, and yes. I would hate to get it wrong. Um, and that is part of her upbringing from there. That the French side of her family has these little touches of possibly, you know, magic and fairy, while her father was a theologian. That's right. I agree that too. Yeah. Yeah. She grew up in all the cathedral cities. And so she is a deeply, um, deeply spiritual woman. And so if there's Christianity in it, they're not as overt as, Mm. say, Narnia. Yep. So I think it's her way of reconciling those pieces of her personality and her heritage as well. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. Because now I think I read, but I wonder if I'm mistaken now, that she may have lost someone in the flu pandemic, um, someone, yeah. that a romantic partner. I seem to think I read that. It would be, if so, that would definitely explain Miss Heliotrope. Yes, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, it, it yeah. definitely, definitely could could do that. Yeah. Um, and um, moving um, to more present times, yeah. the uh, writer J.K. Rowling, she said that The Little White Horse was one of her all-time favourite books growing up as well and um, that it was a direct influence on the Harry Potter series. So I found that really interesting to read. Yes. And um, 
this sort of brings us back to the food and you know those amazing details of what what the characters ate at, at Moonaco. And um, I thought it was quite interesting that J.K. Rowling said that this is the reason, or largely the reason, why she would itemise all the food that was eaten at Hogwarts. Yes, which does make me wonder again. Like, this was written at a period while they were still undergoing rationing. I mean, yes, yeah, that's actually that's a really good good point. I hadn't thought of that, and um, so maybe some of that was a bit of magic realism, and maybe it's the sort of food you you dreamed about. Because it wasn't sort of so much the um, you know the lashings of ginger beer and that sort of thing that the famous five had, but um, the the food it was just lush wasn't it and as you say you wouldn't want to read it when you're hungry but um even though i've i don't really have a great desire to eat things like rabbit stew or anything but they made it sound quite nice i loved a little there's a conversation between maria and her cousin over jugged hair when maria (laughs) rescues the hair serena it's like oh i wouldn't dream of jugging the hair Oh my gosh. And there's all, it's like lemon curd sandwiches, lettuce sandwiches. Yes. Mold claret. Yes. I like the thought of the the claret, actually. (laughs) And because Miss Heliotrope sort of existed really on on red wine, I think. And peppermint. And peppermint, yes. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. And syllabub. Yes, that's right. Yes, so she was probably an early exponent of the the um, goodness of peppermint tea, that sort of thing. But yeah, and um, you were talking about the room and the turret because I just always, well, I think I still do. I want to have a room and a turret. Um, yes, and that doorway that fascinated me too. That you'd had to be child size to get to get through it. Or, or even a big dog. Yeah. <laughs> could, could get to dog and quotation marks. Yes. Yeah, that's oh. right. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and then the dog could come and sleep on your bed. and yes. It was just wow. all fabulous. And I like, I've just bookmarked it in my copy. It's like the little white sheepskin beside her bed. And I mean, how many of us grew up with little white sheepskins beside our beds as Kiwi kids? Yes. That's right. Actually, I'd forgotten about my sheepskin. And I think mine was um, dyed orange or something because in the 70s. Very 70s. As you you did. Yes. Yes. And I love the stone and the carving. My my dad was a... (laughs) Sorry. Was a stonemason. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) So so that, um, that would be very... Evocative for you. Yes. Those always have stone everywhere in our houses, so in Brookwork, and it just seemed like it would have been my dad's dream job to work on somewhere like this or a cathedral. Mm. Mm. So it's amazing how fiction sort of transports you to all sorts of places, isn't it? It's one yes. of the joys of joys of reading. Now, I was going to ask you, did you ever see the film, um, the 2008 film, The Secret of Moonacre? No, I've, like, I think you said you, you didn't want to. I refuse to. I think it, 
I think they tried too hard to make it fantasy. Mm. Mm. I'm the same, and, and I just, I sort of purposely didn't go and see it because I think sometimes when you've read a book that has just been so evocative and so amazing, you, there's a risk that the film is going to spoil it. Yes, there, there's little things, like everything I read about it just, apart, the only thing I think I had going for it was that Tim Curry was mm. Monsieur Cogdeneur, which I think would be, he would have been <laughs> fabulous. Would be perfect, that, yes. But everything else seemed a bit odd, like they made massive changes to Robin mm. and that he was um, Monsieur Cogdeneur's son and it just seemed terrible. Yes, that yeah, and I wonder why they did that. Yeah, so um, yeah, and I don't know that the film was hugely successful, really. But um, oh, yes. from from what I've read, but yeah, it's it's not something that I would even necessarily recommend. I'd say go to the book. Go to the yes, book. go to the book. <laughs> and you were talking earlier about it's so descriptive, and um, in some ways that can seem quite old old-fashioned and um because there's words now when you read it and through the lens 2022 some of the words are used in context that that we would never use today um things like gay it was very gay which means fun and then something else was very queer which meant just unusual um but i think um as long as kids can be as long as the, you could sort of tell them that, look, it's of its time and the, the language was different, I, it's still, um, when you've got a timeless story like that and, and when the book's such a classic, I don't really know that that's necessarily a problem for readers. No, no I think and it helps build the vocabulary as well, that we are sometimes losing all those words. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a good way of of looking at it, and because um, I think for for kids, it's good to know that that's a way of showing that language is is changing all the time and it's evolving. And yeah, um, and I would hope I don't even think it would raise much for snigger really these days, would it? No, I don't think that's what we used to say, or not. That's what our grandparents. Yeah used to say, yeah, um, it's interesting that, that you mentioned the Chronicles of Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, and I, and I sort of felt the same way. I was a little bit reminded of those, and I think it, it was the implied Christianity. Although, and I, I think you'd agree with me with this, that the Christianity in this book, it, it was more the, the basics of... Um, do unto others and um, try and be a, a generous, kind person. It wasn't huge, you know, I don't think it was, um, how would you put it? It sort of wasn't rammed down your throat. No, and you know, going to church on some Sunday is just the thing you do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and the old parson is a reformed character. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so I think it um, there's lots that readers could learn from it that um, your past doesn't have to define you now and all that sort of thing. And yeah, and even the going to, 
when they all go to church on Sunday, um, some young readers, I guess, they might be in families that do that or else they might know people that do that. Yes. But it's kind of takes away some of the mystery out of it, really. They, they make it into a fairly sort of normal thing where and everyone sings and... And has That's and has fun. Yeah, and I just I like the way the old parson is treated, and that the that the the way the church is treated, and that it's just a place for comfort, and that they babysit all the children when mum and dad are at work. Yes, yeah, this, yeah, it um, makes the the church seem quite kind or quite quite a benevolence, really. And I guess. Um, with Elizabeth Gurge, with with her father being a, a parson or a, um, a clergyman of some sort, that probably was her experience. Hopefully for her, that was her experience of the church yes. growing up. Yeah. Um, I was sort of thinking too, that, and you talked about the happy ending and just about, like, I think it's just so good if you could have a happy ending and in books, you know, when you're a young reader, um, and that that it should be okay to live happily ever after, um, and you know, and I think that that thing about um, wish fulfillment that it's really it's so important if if young readers can see that. Yes, and I like the way that it ends because of the little white horse, and that Maria mm. never sees it again, but she knows that one yes. day. One day, yes, one day she will, yeah. yeah. At the Which, end of her life when everything's, she's done everything she needs to do. Mm, mm. Um, and the, I really, actually really appreciated that, especially reading it again as an adult about the way she um, describes death and yes. the death of the, the older characters. And, and she described it as just taking off your body. That What did she say? Um, they became very old indeed and tired of life in this world. So they took off their bodies and laid them aside and went joyfully away into the next. And I found that really comforting. And I think maybe that's why part of this stuck with me because... My grandfather died when I was 10, so it was around that time. Oh, right, yes. And and he had been old and bedridden for most of my life. So to see her, you know, to see him actually go beyond and to be outside of that pain, it all, you know, is a, was a comfort to me at that time. Yes, that's... That is really good that, that that book came into your life at that time. They do say yep. that sometimes, don't they? That there's a book for every person and every yes. every occasion. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really interesting. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, something about about you then, which shows me um, how much of a, an influence this book has had on your life, <laughs> that you've got <clears throat> some amazing body art. Um, uh, the Moon Princess. I do, I do. That was my, uh, I think it's about my 30th birthday present to myself. Right, so, good on you. Yeah, I've been waiting for her for quite a while. <laughs> that is so cool. I just think, wow. I actually know other people who are 
big readers who have um, a childhood literary scene tattooed on them as well. And I, I just think it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the most engaging posts on a Facebook group I'm on for Storytime Librarians. I posted the link to the to the blog with, like, here's my children's lit tattoo, mm. show me yours. Right. Oh, and did you get heaps of responses? Heaps of people. Wow. So there's probably it's, more than we would ever know. Oh, yes. I'm considering my next ones. Yes. Again, oh, see, tying into all those, those deaf things. Um... There's a character in a Debbie Gloriori picture book. Oh, yes. Yeah. No matter what, which is about small and large. And there's small as I'm a grim and grumpy little small and nobody loves me at all. And he sits, he's sitting in the background um, with like a bucket over his head being ex- so grumpy. But I refer to that book and... Um, on the death notice I did for my dad, oh, and I just yeah. really want that character somewhere. So, yes. Oh, well, that's really interesting. I, you know, I haven't read that particular Debbie Gleory book, but I've read her chapter books, which I just yeah. adored. And they were ones I often recommended to kids in the, in the library. Um, and I know that um, you're a great readers what we call readers advisory um person in libraries so i was going to ask you um how you how do how do you recommend books to young people there's a difference in if they're um in person or if they're doing one of the my librarian requests oh right yes and so from the my librarian you may only have a little bit of a how old they are and what they've liked reading. And so there's a lot of what you've already read yourself or recommended in the past. I went through a phase of having a lot of six-year-olds reading first chapter books who were into unicorns. So, (laughs) yeah, you get used to recommending unicorn books. Mm, As you do, yes. (laughs) And you get used to finding, you know, really good sites. And I had one recently for an adult who was looking for books with um, Middle Eastern characters, female characters. And so I managed to find a site from a school librarian who is Muslim, an American school librarian. So I was going through all of her recommendations and reading very carefully to make sure I found the right books with the right characters. So not Southeast Asian Muslim, but Middle Eastern and how they represented um, the faith as well. So, Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. So it's almost as if um, you use all your skills, don't you, I think, to to do good recommendations. Yes. <laughs> and, I, yeah, I think especially um, those of us who've been in the, in the library business for... Uh, <clears throat> a certain amount of time. Yes, a little while. Yeah. Um, we often find we do get better at, at this sort of thing, I suppose, because we've, you just sort of have seen more, I guess, and you've read more, and um, it's one of the benefits, I guess, of of uh, being of, of a certain age, I guess. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, that's where I think a good librarian is just, worth their weight in gold with the way they can, um, you know, recommend and, and influence 
reading, readers and reading for yeah. pleasure. I remember um, it's a number of years ago now, that, and I'll never forget this, Annie, that um, you recommended a writer to me. Um, you rec- recommended Jeffrey Eugenides. I can't remember what... We must have been at some workshop or something, but... Um, but you must have known enough about me to to think you would like this guy, and um, I'm so glad that you you did. So I would have to say that the marriage plot and perhaps Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides are just two of my all time favourites. I'll take that, thank you, Alice. Yes, so take <laughs> that as a, a win. So it's just interesting, isn't it? You never kind of quite know when you're going to um, just hit the jackpot with someone so yeah so every time I see Jeffrey Eugenides in a library one of his books I always think of you so oh thank you so there's probably lots of kids out there that that um remember you all the time and and think Danny she's amazing yeah thank you so much for being part of Books and Beyond today it's been wonderful having you on board great to get your insights and your recommendations um and we really hope that we'll have you back on the show someday. Thank you, Alison. (laughs) This has been so much fun. Thanks once again. by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.